Hi, my name is Brian DeLuca from Insomni Cat Media, and today we're going to talk to Cheryl Green, author, speaker, and animal rescue badass. We're going to talk about origin story and life in general. Make sure you tune in, but before you do that, make sure you hit the subscribe button. All right. Hi, guys. I'm Nicolette with Insomnicat, and today Brian and I are chatting with Cheryl Green. She is a speaker, author, and an animal rescuing badass. Hi, Cheryl. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. So, Cheryl, for those who don't know about you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Um, so I decided a couple of years ago that I wanted to be able to influence large groups of people and speaking and writing was the way to do that. Um, it's been quite the journey to figure out what I'm speaking and writing about. And I think I'm still, <laughs> I'm still switching that up a little bit, but, um, I just want to help people be better. And I like Brian's shirt, you know, be a better human. Um, but also to kind of speak for those who can't speak for themselves. And animal rescue has been a huge part of my life. I know we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but it makes me feel good to be able to kind of stand up for somebody that can't stand for themselves. So you bounced around a lot, Cheryl. Um, you know, from what I've read about you, you you studied psychology, anthropology, forensic psychology, right? You, you move from New York to Vegas. So there's a lot of people who kind of can't figure out what they want to do. Um, you know, what would your advice be for those people who just can't figure it out? Try it out before you go to school for six years. <laughs> that whenever I have the opportunity to speak to like high school students or my friends' kids or anything like that, um, I'm not sorry for any of the education or any of the experiences I've had. However, I think if I had done more research and I had actually looked into like what it entails um, and what the opportunities are, I decided years ago that I wanted to hunt down serial killers. <laughs> I was goth at the time. I was obsessed <laughs> with serial killers. And um, my mom actually saw a show on profiling. And I was like, oh my God, this is what I have to do with my life. Um, so I went through all the schooling and I got a master's degree. And I'll never forget my professor, the last day of class, he said, um, so you guys know this is all theory, right? This doesn't actually exist. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, please tell me my student loans are theoretical. Like, <laughs> So um. I spent six years of my life doing this. Now you're yes. telling me it's theoretical. Yeah. Wow. It was, it was Talk just about so hope. Crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and crushing it. Um, so yeah, I went, I applied for the FBI to uh, be an intelligence analyst because that was mm -hmm. kind of the way in. And uh, I hopefully don't get arrested after this uh, podcast, but <clears throat> I actually failed uh, because I spiked on the question of are you a terrorist oh yeah 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 i took the lie detector and i spiked on that question and they were like yeah we can't hire you and i was like oh dreams crushed um, oh my yeah yeah so um i kind of bounced around for a long time because there's nothing else you can really do with a master's in forensic psychology um 
so yeah, I bounced around and finally I ended up writing and I, I wrote a, a serial killer novel. So I got to use. All right. So there you there. go. Yeah. <laughs> now that I'm you totally off track. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's okay. But I, I mean, I, I could totally see how having a background in that totally sets you up for understanding people and, and what, mm. what makes them act, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think psychology is a really good background for everybody to have and to understand, like, at least the basics. Um, but yeah, definitely figure, like, go and research and go actually do the job. You know, go shadow somebody that's working in that field. Find out what it's like. Find out what your daily um, experiences are going to be. And that should turn you off from most of what you thought you wanted to do. <laughs> it's true. It is true. So Cheryl, go ahead, Brian. Did you want to say something? I, I was going to say, you know, I, I know you talk a lot about storytelling and, you know, under, so understanding people, you know, what's, what's interesting, and this is probably where Nicolette's probably going to go, I'm assuming, but, you know, you talk about it being storytelling, being purposeful and powerful, right? And coming from that, that sort of, uh, you know, that, that degree, right? Understanding people's psyche, you know, is that where you really started pulling? Here's what you really need to know. Like, here's the pieces of storytelling that really affect people or how to understand what they're thinking and to get into, you know, many ways, their minds. Um, I would love to say that the forensic psychology really helped me in the storytelling, but it wasn't until about a year ago that I even saw a connection. Um, I, I started out with the, uh, you know, writing novels and writing fiction, and I learned the craft of storytelling through that, you know, how to actually create um, these worlds and these characters and tie everything together. And then I stopped writing for a couple of years. I just decided I didn't want to be a fiction writer anymore. And um, I found that a lot of my friends that were in business were kind of contacting me to help them write and help them edit and help them get their ideas onto paper. And to be perfectly honest, I didn't realize that writing or storytelling was a skill. I just thought it was something that everybody knew how to do because um, mm -hmm. we, don't, we don't recognize our own skills and our own talents as actually being special. And then I saw other people's writing and I was like, oh, not everyone can do this. Got it. <laughs> um, so I started writing for businesses and, you know, just helping um, small businesses kind of get their ideas out there and communicate with their customers. Um, and it wasn't until I did that and someone actually, you know, they asked for my background and I said forensic psychology and they're like, oh, so you use profiling with your, you know, for marketing purposes. And I was like, probably should. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Great idea. Thank you. Right? Right. So um, it took a while, but journey mapping. just learn the word journey mapping. It's part of the journey mapping. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, yeah, that's, I'm totally doing that. Um, but yeah, I was just able to kind of see, you know, marketing, you're, you need to put yourself in the customer's shoes. You need to experience their pain and understand what they're going through. And that's what profiling is. You know, who, who would be, who would be that perfect, uh, audience member, that perfect client, and how do you tap into their emotion and how do you speak directly to them? So we're talking about storytelling and business and a lot of, a lot of salespeople are talking about So 
we read your blog post about the timeshare mm -hmm. and yeah, you were on vacation and, and they do this a lot. They've done it to me, but I'm, I'm cold. So I just shut them <laughs> down. I don't want your timeshare. <laughs> so, you know, you were talking about, um, being made comfortable and kind of setting you up and, and them talking to the right decision maker, you know? And so, you know, our question is, does, does this kind of make you feel dirty in a sense because you know what they want right and they're trying to mask it as something else and you know you you focus on storytelling and sales so what is it that you know salespeople should be doing in terms of storytelling that maybe they're not doing and they're just masking it and making it some dirty thing <laughs> um you know it's funny that i i'm still i'm partially ashamed of myself for that whole experience because i knew better <laughs> and the whole time i'm going we're being sold we're being sold we're being sold we don't need this but he was so good um but the the weird thing about the experience was the difference between the guy that you know came in and took us through the journey and all of that and then the actual like you signed paperwork with me closer mm -hmm. And it was night and day um, because what you described was that first guy. Like he made us feel so comfortable. He asked me in the, you know, asked both of us in the very beginning, like, who is the decision maker? Like, who's going to influence this? Where is the money coming from? Like that kind of thing. So he really understood the second guy that came in made me feel like, you know, the fifties housewife. <laughs> that he was like oh well you like it when he buys you pretty things don't you and it was like oh like first of all we're not married second of all it's not the 50s and i'm not wearing a pinup outfit like what is going on here <laughs> um so i think like one of the biggest issues that some salespeople will make is they don't take the time to understand who they're talking to mm -hmm. um they don't under take the time to understand what their problems are um, what their process is. And I know, you know, the buyer's journey is such a huge, huge hot topic. Um, but what, what's going on in their head as they're going through this process? Um, and that's what that second guy didn't do. Like he didn't bother to find any of that out. And that's why, I, that's when I felt dirty. The first guy, <laughs> I was just impressed and I was kind of sitting back, like taking notes. Um, but I think, you know, if you, if you really seek to understand your customer and find something that meets their needs, as opposed to imposing what you want at the beginning and, and kind of ignoring them, um, I think that's, that's what's going to make them feel not dirty, is being understood, being heard, and feeling like you're actually creating a solution to their problem, not just throwing a solution on them. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Cheryl, just before the new year, you released a book, right? Do good to do better. Um, the small business guide to growing your business. I'm all about the short titles. Non yes. I, I have to say, I have to look at my notes. It's very long. <laughs> the small business guide to growing your business by helping nonprofits. Mm -hmm. So can you talk to us a little bit about that book and, and the inspiration for that? Yeah. So um, I mentioned before that I've been involved in animal rescue for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, when you start out with a small animal rescue, you wear every single hat. Everybody wears every single hat. Uh, so I got a lot of experience with fundraising and with kind of um, 
just talking to the community and figuring out ways that we could, you know, get our needs met as an organization so that we could actually, you know, achieve our mission and help animals. And uh, if you've ever done anything in nonprofit, you know, it gets really old begging for things. I honestly, I mean, you spend your entire life and your entire entire existence, you know, with your hand held out, like, you know, oh, we need money. We need this. We need that. And we're kind of, um, we're, we're kind of molded to believe that as a nonprofit, we don't have any value that we kind of just take and take and take. And yeah, we're helping this population, but we don't actually have value as an organization. We're just kind of like a money suck. And it took a while to realize that it's a business like any other, you know, you still have, you still have employees or hopefully you get to the point where you have employees, you still have costs and, you know, you need to keep a roof over the head and, and heat on and things like that. Um, aside from the actual animals that you're taking care of and you have value in terms of your audience and in terms of this brand that you've created. And when I realized that, and we started looking for, you're not allowed to say partner because a lawyer will pop out and like smack you because that's not the term, um, but you can say collaborations. So um, you start looking for these collaborations of businesses that they have money or services or manpower to offer you, but you also have the ability to make them look better. Um, it's, they call it the halo effect in cause marketing. Um, and then also to get their reach out to an audience that they never would have reached before. And I, we started working with a couple of businesses. Uh, one is like a poop scooping company. Uh, we have an HVAC company that's helped us. And it just became like, it's a give and take, mm -hmm. you know? It's yes, we're getting money from them, but we're also, we're also putting out a, hey, thank you so much for your support and go to their website and check out what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason that I wrote this book and the reason that I, I really um, directed it towards small business owners is because corporations have known this for years. They, if you walk into a store, you will see products all over the shelves. You know, a percentage goes to breast cancer, a percentage goes to the Alzheimer's Foundation. They've known this for years. And I don't think most small business owners realize that they could do it too. That they don't have to be the big guy um, to work with a nonprofit and to actually stand for something besides what, you know, just making money and just what their product is. So, so there's something you say in the book. Um, when we support the causes close to our hearts, the money will roll in. And, and I think that's something that, you're, you're trying to get across this, but even though you're a small business or you're a startup or whatever it is, and you're concerned about money too, open, open it up. Like kind of giving is also getting, you know, yes. and if you, if you start giving or when you start thinking about somebody other than yourself, you know, it, the return is even greater. And it was just such a profound statement, you know, and how have you experienced that? You know, can you sense that fear that businesses must have though? Like, oh, we don't want to part with this money or, you know, something like oh, yeah. that. You know, how do you, how do you talk to that? 
Yeah. You know what? The way I look at it, um, it's scary. It is scary committing to giving money when you're not making a lot, you know, in those startup days, like you're either not really making a lot or you're not making anything. And it's all like in the negative and it's terrifying. And, you know, there's that whole like abundance and scarce, scarcity, scarcity, scarcity thinking. Um, that there is plenty out there and the more that you put out into the world, the more will come back to you. Mm -hmm. Um, not that that's the reason you should do it, (laughs) but, um, you know, when you're starting up, you're going to spend money. You have to spread the word. You have to get your business out in front of people, whether you do that through social media or through, you know, paying an advertising agency or marketing or whatever it is you have to spend money. Like you can't just hang a shingle and expect that people are going to come in in droves to buy your product. Um, Why not spend that money on a cause? I've met so many people that have built their business by doing nonprofit events, um, by donating their services to, you know, raffles and auctions and things like that and getting their name out there and if you handle it properly and you handle the PR aspect of it, like you can actually have a major reach um, just, by, just by standing with a nonprofit and saying, hey, we care about this. And one, you'll attract the other people that care about it. Two, you'll reach that audience. And three, you become awesome. I, that's the best way I can say it. Um, <laughs> people want to work with you. They're like, hey, they're not just in it to, you know, do business and, and to make money off of this, but they really care about the community that they're in. So, so I know in, in the past you've spoken about, you know, trying to sell nothing, right? Yes. Trying to, yeah. Trying to sell nothing, <laughs> how hard that is. And especially yeah. when you're a nonprofit or you're working, you know, you're working for a nonprofit. <laughs> how does, how does that sort of play into that? And, and also too, you know, I know you talk about origin story and I want to talk a little mm-hmm. bit about that too. Sure. So, Um, so in terms of the selling nothing, like, again, if you've ever been in a nonprofit world, like you are literally walking up to people and saying, Hey, can you give me some money? I'm not going to give you anything back. (laughs) I'm going to go feed some dogs. I'm going to buy some clothing for the homeless, but you just feel good about yourself. Like enjoy your life. Um, so it really like... When I realized that, it was like, okay, well, this is like a lesson for sales in general, Mm -hmm. because it's not about the product. It's not about what I'm giving you back. It's literally about the warm fuzzies that you're getting. It's about that emotional um, connection that, that we get. And from you feeling as if your needs are being met. Mm -hmm. So I I think I totally just lost my train of thought. (laughs) Yes. Um, selling nothing selling thank you thank you thank you so it really you know first they told us don't sell the features they you know sell the benefits this goes even beyond that it's don't sell the features don't sell the benefits sell the emotions because that's what we connect on and i i'm gonna totally destroy the amount here but i think it's like a 92 percent of purchasing decisions are based subconscious like they're they're you know something triggers in your brain and you're like, oh, I need this, which mm-hmm. would explain why we spend, you know, $2,000 on shoes and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so it really just when you when you tap into that emotional level and you do that through story because that is when they're actually going to see themselves in the situation. Um, they're going to resonate with the character that you have created and they're gonna follow that journey from, oh crud, I have a problem, to like, oh, it's gonna get worse. Okay, maybe I'll try this, uh, it didn't work, blah, 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 you know, all the way until, oh, I feel better. Mm-hmm. Like my problem has been solved, um, I'm happy and I'm now like, I'm now living a better life because of what's gone gone on. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I love yeah. the first, I love the full circle. Thank you, Cheryl. You took yeah, us right back to the storytelling. <laughs> Did I get there? All right. All right. So now part two of the question. So yeah. origin story, you talk a lot yes. about the origin story and I know, yeah. it, you know, I, I was watching one video where you referenced Wolverine, perfect reference, you yeah. know, origin story. Um, <laughs> You know, but if you could talk a little bit about how important origin story is to to a company, really, or to an individual. Yeah. So whenever I whenever I speak to an audience, whenever I work with a client, like I always ask, like people do business with people they fill in the blank. Oh. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like it's so I always get back, except for right now when you're like, what am I supposed to be doing? Um, <laughs> They do business with people they know, like, and trust, right? We've had this beaten into us pretty well. Um, So how do you get them to know, like, and trust you? And the no aspect comes in from that origin story. Mm -hmm. Um, There's actually a really cool podcast, uh, How I Built This. Have you ever listened to that? No. It's an NPR thing, and they literally just talk to brands and to the founders and say, like, how did you get here? Mm-hmm. And it's not advice. It's, you know, maybe a little bit, but right. it's really just about like, what made you do this and how did you get there? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's your origin story. That's what's going to help you connect to people. And part of what's going to differentiate you from the other 4 million people that do exactly what you do. Yep. Um, it kind of explains that, you know, Simon Sinek, uh, you know, people buy by what you do, they don't buy, excuse me, they buy why you do it, not what you do. And he says it way better than I just did. Um, but you, you have to connect on that why level and help people understand like why you care about this business. Mm-hmm. You know, what got you into it? I, I, I had a, a health client, it was like health and wellness. And we could not, like, I could not get past like, oh, I, I just wanted to open a business. Like, oh, I like this. Oh, I, I enjoy, you know, I enjoy smoothies and all this mm-hmm. stuff. Right. And I finally, like, I kept pressing her. I was like, there is a reason why you chose this. And she's like, well, you know, my dad died of a heart attack when I was like 12. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Oh my God. Thank you. That also makes a really good Disney origin story. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You know, I actually just found out that they purposefully kill off a parent because it creates that emotional connection. I didn't know that was on purpose. (laughs) I am a little slow sometimes. (laughs) It's horrible. Every single one of them. Yeah. 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 As long as you can get past that, you're okay. But you're good. Um, So yeah, I think it's really just like a way to connect people and for, again, it to be more, more than just about money. Mm-hmm. So it's also that like, hey, I've got a reason why I do this and I love what I do. Mm-hmm. So. 
Um, and thank you for getting the Wolverine reference because I had to change that to Superman because half of my audiences were like, huh? Huh? Who's Wolverine? <laughs> All right, people. <laughs> have you gone to the movies? Let's start with that. Never exactly. <laughs> all right, I have not seen Wolverine. Let's just all stop. <laughs> you, you haven't seen any of the X-Men stuff? Nope. No. Nope. Right, right now we're big into Marvel in this house. So we're really okay. just embracing the five-year-old's Marvel fetish. So <laughs> one day he will grow and we will yeah. you know, embrace something else. <laughs> yeah, and a really cool origin story, and I don't know, because this is sort of like a one-off comic. It's not really, but Conan the Barbarian. Okay. If you've ever read Conan, it's like it's like the human plight to sort of find your place in the universe or the world or whatever. And right. it's interesting. So he has a really interesting origin story too, you know? Interesting. I, I have not seen that since I was really little. He has ferrets, right? He had no ferrets. He's a uh, no. big barbarian with a giant axe. <laughs> Maybe I'm thinking about like Beastmasters. Okay, <laughs> never mind. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> I would love to see Conan. <laughs> Some ferrets. <laughs> oh, that's Beastmaster. That is Beastmaster. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that movie. <laughs> okay, I'm not creepy. That's good to know. <laughs> oh, man. I don't. I, wow. I wonder when the last time I saw that movie was. But uh, yeah, I remember that movie. Were they both Arnold Schwarzenegger? No, like, is that? Right. Oh. I just want to see Arnold Schwarzenegger with some ferrets all over him. Just <laughs> Especially now, at, you know, his, his uh, you know, sort of oh. in the grandpa. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Cheryl, I'm going to get us back on track here. Yeah, um, please. Arnold, sorry. Um, <laughs> and to switch to something a, a little bit not light. So you talk about the depression that you yeah. went through. <laughs> Let's go right there. Sure. Quite, quite a pivot. <laughs> After you got divorced and um, your stepmom gave you some advice that I yeah. really, really like. Can you, can you share that with everybody? Talk about this in yeah. one of your earlier books as well. Yep. Yeah. So um, we'll, we'll just, for the purpose of this interview, we'll just leave it at my husband, ex-husband did a very, very, very bad thing. Um, and I left him, I was living in North Carolina at the time. I left him and I moved out to Vegas to be closer to my dad and my stepmom. And, um, when you go through a traumatic experience like that, your emotions are just completely jumbled, destroyed, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it took a couple of months, but I fell into a really, really deep depression. Um, and I always say, like, I, I don't think I was suicidal, but if I died, I would have been okay with it. Like, I just wouldn't have done it to myself. And um, they walked in one day and found me curled up on the floor of the bathroom, like, in the fetal position, just bawling my eyes out onto the tile. And um, my stepmom dragged me up off the floor and said, go do something for someone else. And... It was both the best, uh, you know, personal advice and later turned out to be the best business advice that I'd ever gotten. And uh, I started thinking, you know, what, what do I care about? What matters to me? What can I help with? And Animal Rescue became not just an outlet for me, but really like a saving grace. Um, I'm not sure that I would have made it through the divorce and through everything after that. Um, if it hadn't been for having something bigger than myself to care about. Um, I think a lot of times, especially with depression and 
Uh, it's funny, I, I studied this in college and yet until it actually happens to you, wow, does none of that hit home. Um, but one of the like hallmarks of depression is kind of, um, you know, hopeless and helpless. You're, you're trapped inside of yourself. You don't feel like anybody knows what you're going through and you don't feel like uh, you can reach out to anyone. And being, um, being involved in rescue kind of solved all of that. You know, it gave me that purpose that I had been missing. It gave me a social circle of people that felt the exact same way that I did, that, you know, we need to be a voice for these creatures. Um, and it gave me something to stop, like, to think about besides how sad I was. Mm -hmm. So I, I always say, you know, for every animal I've saved, like, they've saved me so much more. And... Um, it really has shaped who I've become and the journey that I've been on since then. Thank you for sharing that, Cheryl. I really just wanted to touch on that. I think that is some profound advice. And, and a lot of times um, I have said to people, why don't you call someone else and see how they're doing? You know, like you said, I'm because I am a self-centered human. You know, that's yeah. just who I am. We all and that's the advice that's been given to me. You know, why don't you call someone else, Nicola? You know, like enough already enough and yeah. it always helps it always always helps there has not been one time that i have thought about someone else and it hasn't helped so i just really wanted to bring that up that was very profound yeah for sure it's and simple. i'm excited you keep calling me profound this is very uh, <laughs> i don't usually get that it's very nice <laughs> uh, so i know i know we're just chatting so much but really really quick i would love to touch on your book writing tips yeah. because you know we have a a lot of writers who listen in and, and a lot of content creators. So we have no time, right? And so people want to write books, they can't write them. Um, you know, not that they can't, but they, we can't find the time. Right. So you actually help people kind of tap into that source. So how do you do that? And what is your advice for those people? So, um, yeah, we're all busy. We wear that like a badge of honor. Um, you know, we're all so excited that that has become the answer to how are you, mm. right? You're not good. You're not sad. You're not excited about the world. You're busy. Um, we will make time for what we want to make time for. I have a client who I actually just started with this morning, a book coaching client. And he said, uh, I was like, when, when do you have time to do this? And he said, I've found 40 minutes every morning to do cardio. I will make the time for this. And it comes down to, is it important enough to you? Um, that being said, if you are, you know, a brand new mother with an infant child or caring for a sick parent, you possibly do not have time to take on a book right now. Um, but for the rest of us, turn the TV off. Um, I, it, it, if you think about how many hours a day we watch TV and how many hours a week, you could write War and Peace in that amount. <laughs> time. So if it matters to you, you will make the time to do it. Um, the biggest tip that I give my clients and that I have learned is um, that first book that I wrote took me three years. And I was not working at the time. So, you know, there was plenty of time. Um, after that, the, my time started going down until the third one I did in 30 days. Wow. Wow. And I realized that the difference was I knew where I was going. Mm -hmm. When I sat down to write that first one, I, you know, in the writing world, they call it seat of your pants. 
you know, you just kind of sit down and whatever flows through you, whatever, whatever muse graces you that day, you know, you put on paper and um, that may work for some people, no judgment. Um, for me, it took three years. Uh, when I sat down and I outlined my story, uh, and now when I outline my non-profit, no, non-profit, my non-fiction books, you know what you're going to write. You've already done the thinking. You've already done the research. Now it's time to sit down and I'll be gross for a moment. Puke out your first draft. <laughs> Just get it out because it's already swimming around inside your head. You've already structured it. Now it's time to just get it out on paper. Mm-hmm. And when people do that, when people actually take the time to prep before they ever sit down and start writing, it goes so much faster. And I wrote, um, so I actually wrote a book called Book Writing for Busy People. And uh, <laughs> see, a short title, I can do it. <laughs> um, I wrote that book in two weeks. Wow. Because I knew exactly what I wanted to say. I knew how I wanted to take people through that journey. Because even a nonfiction book is still going to be a journey that people have to go on. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I knew what I was going to say, all I had to do was say it. It was all in here. It was just a matter of getting, out, getting it out. Um, so for nonfiction books and for business books, things like that, you probably already know what you want to say and what you want to communicate. Just say it. Just, just figure it out ahead of time and just knock it out. And don't worry, your first draft is going to suck. <laughs> That's okay. That's why there's editors out there. <laughs> so. Well, thank you, Brian. Am I forgetting anything that we wanted to touch on? I know I, I know I came up with a whole lot of things in my head as well. <laughs> I don't think so. It was a great it was a great conversation. Cheryl. Thank you. Thank you. I thank appreciate you so it. much, Cheryl. And where can people come and find more find out more about you, Cheryl? Sure. Um so my website is CherylGreenspeaks.com and it's Cheryl with an S. And from there, you can find out about my speaking. You can find out about the uh, business writing that I do and the book coaching. And you can also get links for all four of my books. Um, The fiction isn't out there yet, but the nonfiction is. So click on that. And yeah, you can find everything there and you can reach out to me as well. Thank Thank you so much, Cheryl. Thank you.